So I feel really sad to have to say this, but unfortunately we lost somebody recently very close to the club, very close to Bayern Munich. He was somebody who always brought a lot of joy to our lives, who we were very happy to own on our team. He provided, again, he just provides so much joy and it's really sad that he's gone now. Tom, don't you agree? Yeah, I mean, there's just something so lovable about a friendly green dinosaur. I mean, how could you possibly have any any form of discontent or disdain for for a guy like that who just wants to see his team win? I mean, I, I'm at a loss for words, Jake. I'm at a true loss for it, words. It's too sad. And we at Bavarian Podcast Works want to offer our condolences to a true... Bayern Munich legend, rest in peace to Gunnersaurus. Hello and welcome into yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works, where today we take a look at Bayern's most recent game against Hertha Berlin. We take a look at how Bayern did in the transfer window. We will skip over the Super Cup because that feels like so many years ago. It's weird how in this pandemic, the weeks turn to years, and it feels like it's been at least a year since Bayern defeated Borussia Dortmund in the Super Cup. But we're not going to be talking about that. We're talking about Hertha, talking about transfers. And then we get to go on like a weekish hiatus because we're not going to really be talking much about uh, Germany's qualifiers. But I'm joined by Tom Adams. Tom, how are you feeling on this Tuesday night? I'm doing well, uh, a little on the tired side. Just as you had mentioned, it feels like during these pandemic times, time is completely warped and it feels as if Bayern Munich has played about 50,000 games in the span of two weeks. Uh, but you know what? We're taking the higher road by skipping over uh, a chance to take a dig at Dortmund fans and our friends over at Fear the Wall for, uh, you know, winning the DFL Super Cup trophy over them, uh, taking the high road, so to speak. Uh, but nonetheless, it's good to be back and, and talk about another Bayern Munich win and some crazy, crazy transfer stuff. So we're first going to, as I mentioned, talk about this game on a wild weekend, right? We saw Manchester United lose to Tottenham 6-1. We saw Tom go to bed very, very happy after Liverpool lost to Aston Villa 7-2. I truly think that this Bayern-Hertha Berlin game deserves a lot more credit than it's getting because 4-3 is a wild scoreline, but I will give credit to Hertha Berlin fans and Hertha Berlin as a club. This really was, I think, the best Bundesliga game of the season so far from everybody. It was such a tight match. It was such a close game. And a lot of credit needs to go to the Hertha Berlin back line, right? Alexander Schwolo, despite the fact that he let four goals in, had a beautiful game. According to who scored, he had a better match rating than Manuel Neuer did, and I kind of agree with that. The team itself is really good. If you asked me at the beginning of the season who I thought a top four would be, I would have snuck Hertha Berlin in as that fourth team. I just think any team that loses Jurgen Klinsmann is automatically going to do better. 
I mean, for example, look at the U.S. men's national team. They got rid of him in 2017 with three games to go in the qualifiers, and we did perfectly. We made it in that World Cup, right, everybody? Um, So, starting off, uh, 40th minute, it took a really long time for Bayern standards to get the scoring going in this game. Robert Lewandowski chips one in 40th minute, 1-0. Going into the half, it was 1-0. Should be noted, it should have been 2-0. If not for Thomas Müller getting slightly offside from this beautiful ball from Chris Richards. But Chris Richards did get his assist. He got his assist in the 51st minute, sending another ball into Lewandowski, who chipped it in. Uh, not chipped it in, but like chipped it in from close, if you know what I mean. He didn't chip it over the goalkeeper. You guys know what I mean. 51st minute, 2-0. Uh, Jean Cordoba, just eight minutes later... Beautiful ball in from Mateos Cunha, and Cordoba converts it to make it 2-1. to one. 71st minute, Cunha scores his own off of an assist from Piontek to make it 2-2. Two to two. 85th minute, Tomas Müller sends in a beautiful low ball to the back post. Robert Lewandowski sends it in. 85th minute, 3-2, to two, Bayern Munich. 87th minute, a young Hertha Berlin player by the name of Jessic Nankamp comes in and then one minute later one minute after he comes on he scores the goal after an assist from Maximilian Mittelstadt 3-3 going into added time into stoppage time and then there's a penalty in the box and for Hertha Berlin fans this is a bit controversial but we'll get into this later uh, there's a penalty in the box. Robert Lewandowski steps up and he does what he normally does. He converts it four three. That's the end of this game. Tom, what are your thoughts on Byron's performance throughout the day? Uh, avoiding Lewandowski and avoiding the back line because we will get into those separately in a little bit. As bizarre as it may sound, I have to agree with you with that. The hair to Berlin back line too. You know, they're a team coached by Bruno Labadia that I've been impressed with, uh, for all things considered, since the Bundesliga's restart last May. And it's very funny to say that for a team who conceded five goals against Eintracht Braunschweig in the DFB Pokal first round, and then three goals against Eintracht Frankfurt earlier in the league, and obviously four goals against us. But you could just tell by the way, you know, the back four, Mittelstadt, Diedrich Boyata, Nikola Stark, Peter Pekrik, you know, I noticed almost every time they, they cleared a ball out for a corner kick or uh, a goal kick, you know, to disrupt a Bayern cross. They were just really geeing each other up, high-fiving each other aggressively, and you could tell that that was part of their game plan. You know, I was going to make a mental, or I made a mental note, excuse me, Bruno Labadia certainly must have looked at the game plan that uh, Sebastian Honus used against us for our 4-1 loss against Hoffenheim because I noticed a lot of similarities, um, and I've heard a lot of commentators talk about this, where Bayern have a tendency when they're going forward uh, against a team that's a, deploying a deeper block they have a tendency to sort of overflow the middle of the field and not use the width enough and I thought that this was on display a lot uh, in the Hertha Berlin match and what happens is it makes it very easy or easier I should say to defend you can just pack the box in and around the 18 yard and the six yard box and you're forcing you're forcing the play you either have to send a cross in and then it gets cleared, it can start a counterattack, or you have to play quick passes uh, and set, commit more numbers forward, leaving yourself open on the break. And that's exactly what happened 
for large parts of this match with Hertz Berlin and their their counterattacks, I thought it was perfect that they had a guy like Jean Cordoba, Mateus Cunha, pace, physicality up front, uh, getting the counterattacks in. And, you know, they gave Bayern lots of trouble, but I mean, we've got the main man, and there's a reason why we have him. There's a reason why he's one of the world's best. Let's talk about him. He had a phenomenal game, and I want to touch on this penalty. Just in my own Twitter conversations, I had engaged with a uh, with a Hertha Berlin superfan. Shout out to Hahol Hannah. We had a bit of a disagreement, and I really think that this is a disagreement that comes from the experience of somebody who lost the game, and that's not to rub it in her face or her team's face. She made the argument that if David Alaba made content with Christoph Piontek in the opposite end, that that final penalty would not have been given. I disagree because Hertha Berlin fans will say that that wasn't a penalty, but I think it was. I think if you look at the tape, right, Lewandowski jumps up, Middlestadt snags Lewandowski's jersey. It looks like a grab. It may not have been a grab, but the shirt bunched up as the man was jumping up to go ahead and try to get the ball, and in some way, shape, or form, it impeded his ability to go and get the ball. That's a foul. That's a penalty, because it's in the box. I think that if somebody on the back line of Bayern Munich did that, I don't know necessarily whether or not it would have been a penalty, but I personally think it should have been a penalty if the same thing happened in reverse. Whether or not the referees would have seen that is one thing. But, I mean, I'm just of the opinion that anybody gets tackled in the box when a ball comes right into them in any way, shape, or form, and it impedes them from getting the ball, it's a penalty. It's a penalty, no hesitation. It doesn't matter who's wearing the jersey. But I guess that makes me better than some of the referees in Germany from anyone who is a non-Bayern fan standpoint that is listening to this podcast. But... That doesn't distract from the fact that Robert Lewandowski had his best game of the 2020-2021 season so far in this game. Undoubtedly, four goals scored for Bayern Munich on the day, all four of them coming from Lewandowski, including that penalty. Tom, what did you think of the day that he had? Yeah, you know, I think he must have taken a look at the runnings for the Tor Jager Kanon at the end of the season and saw that Kramaric was ahead of him. And he thought to himself, you know what, I've got to cover my tracks here and, and get as close as possible to him. And now he's only one goal behind. I believe Kramaric is at six and Lewandowski is now at five, having scored another goal against Schalke in the opener. But, you know, this this game just kind of highlighted uh his finishing ability and his nose for goal. And if you can recall, I mean, Schwalo was forced to make, excuse me, that's kind of a tongue twister. Schwalo was forced to make a handful of saves early on. I can remember one in the eighth minute. That was a little bit of a 1v1, and he made himself large. So this very easily could have been five or six goals for Lewandowski, let's not forget. Um, brilliant cross from Richards on the second goal. Only the best strikers in the world are going to take that touch set themselves up and, you know, get that kind of trajectory and pace uh, on a shot when they're off balance like that. First goal was pure instinct. The ball fell to him. Diedrich Boyata botched his clearance a little bit, but you know what? You can be in the right place at the right time, but if the instinct isn't right, that's going miles over the crossbar, wide left, wide right, you name it. Uh, It's not going to go where Lewandowski put it. And 
I'm I'm with you on the on the penalty decision. You know, I thought that that Stark foul was definitely a penalty, and it was sort of the final act of what was a very very scrappy period towards the end of the game. I thought uh, Goretzka and Kimmich were kind of getting into it a little bit with Tussar and Derrida. Uh, Luca Bacchio before he had to come off I thought that the closing stages got really really scrappy especially when it was end to end and you know with the Lewandowski foul you're 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 dead right I mean Middlestadt knew what he was doing he could have gotten in between Lewandowski and the goal put Lewandowski's arm in between his rib cage and uh, his left arm and kind of did like a Sergio Ramos on Sergio Ramos on Mohamed Salah from the 2018 Champions League final it was a penalty and obviously you're Death never going to let that go. You won a Champions League, you won a Premier League, and you're still not going to let that go, are you? Objectively, completely objectively, it was a similar rotation, rotating pattern that Middlestadt made to bring Lewandowski down. and It was a penalty, and obviously uh, you're not going to bet against Lewandowski missing from the spot. Okay. All right. We can understand that you're still angry about losing the uh, 2018 Champions League, but... You know what? And yes, I still do not like Sergio Ramos, if if that's what your follow-up question is. No, it's is. not, because any person that loves football hates Sergio Ramos, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, an, ex, an ex of mine was a diehard Real Madrid fan, and even she couldn't admit the fact that Sergio Ramos was... She could admit to the fact that Sergio Ramos was an incredibly dirty player. But, that's it. That uh, says it all right Speaking there. of Sergio Ramos, let's talk about the back line. Bayern Munich's back line have had a really tough go at it. Over the last couple of days, three goals conceded in this game. They basically had to go to extra time of the UEFA Super Cup. They didn't seem the strongest in that Dortmund game. Tom, what needs to change along this back line, right? Bayern weren't able to get a lot of reinforcements in the defense. We will get to them later in terms of acquisitions at the transfer deadline. But what's going on with these guys on the back line? What's up with Alaba? What's up with... Boateng, what needs to change? Yeah, I mean, we knew that there's going to be rotations. There's no getting around the, the the schematics of what this season is going to look like. You know, you know, the circumstances are very dire. There's going to be games, multiple games, lots of English weeks. So there, there's going to be rotations. But for me, what needs to happen is just accountability. And I think we need to see a lot more of what we saw from the Bundesliga restart onward from guys like Boateng and Alaba, you know, commanding their their teammates, telling them where to be, being in the right positions. You know, it's a little concerning for me that for the second Bundesliga match in a row, we've given up a goal on a set piece. I don't like that. You have every opportunity to get it right. Uh, you have every opportunity to get the right communication across when you're setting up the defense for a set piece. But uh, you know what? For that first goal, we let Cordoba run right through, and we made it way too easy. And on the second goal, it's just, I was mentioning to you uh, earlier, it's like there was four or five Bayern Munich players around Cunha, and he just like walked right through, and it was almost as if Boateng Alaba Hernandez was looking at the other player next to them saying, oh, that person's going to go commit, and, and none of them did, and they gave Neuer no chance. It was a 1v1. I know that Neuer has been very, very good in 1v1 situations so far this season, but... Uh, you know, Cunha put it right in the bottom corner, corner giving uh, Neuer no chance. And for me, there just needs to be so much more accountability. And I was impressed with Chris Richards. I thought he was hardly at fault for any of uh, Berlin's three goals. But, you know, you need they need to find a way to keep that leadership and, and that uh, that veteran communication, even when they do have to make these rotations. Because, as I mentioned, that's going to be the case for large parts of this season. I think one of the other issues, not necessarily issues, but a problem with communication, right? 
This team won a Champions League with Alfonso Davies at left back, and so far this year we haven't really seen him operating in that left back position. We saw him start this Hertha Berlin game with Luca Hernandez at left back and Fonzie starting on the left wing, right? Now, I'm one who's said previously in arguments both on Twitter and in the comment section of BavarianFootballWorks.com that uh, Bayern Munich basically have four really, really good wingers, and one of them just happens to be really good at playing left back. I think as much as when um, when Hansi came in and said that the left back position was Luca Hernandez's to lose, I think now it has to be that it has to be Fonzie's to lose. Because Fonzie performed incredibly well, and even though he may not be the most solid defensively, he can make those amazing uh, runs that cut back and stop attacking players like Timo Werner. I think the defense kind of looks lost with Hernandez on that left side. I think that Alaba and Boateng did a really good job in terms of bonding with Davies, and I think that might be maybe something that they're missing but irregardless of that we go ahead and we take a look at the remaining matches that occurred this weekend in the Bundesliga in addition to Bayern's 4-3 win over Hertha Berlin uh reminder this week coming up is a international break week the German national team has a couple of games both this week and the next week then Bayern have a game at the weekend of October 16th to the 18th. And then the week after that, ladies and gentlemen, first Champions League matches of the season. Coming very late November. But anyway, 4-0 win for Union Berlin over Mainz at the... Uh, at the Fusterei on uh, Friday, October 2nd. Saturday, a 4-0 beatdown for Borussia Dortmund over Freiburg. 2-1 win for Eintracht Frankfurt over a pretty decently-looking Hoffenheim team after Hoppen Hoffenheim were up 1-0 at the half. Uh, in the Rhein derby, uh, Köln versus Borussia Mönchengladbach. It was a runaway win for Mönchengladbach. 3-1. They were up 2-0 at the half. Two teams that have been struggling at the bottom of the table, Werder Bremen and Arminia Bielefeld. Bremen won 1-0. They were up 1-0 at the half. They did a pretty decent job. Bayer Leverkusen really, really struggling this season, dropping points to lower competition with Stuttgart. Coming back after being down 1-0 at the half to Leverkusen, finished that game 1-1. A Saturday late game, a utter beatdown of Schalke 4-0 by RB Leipzig. Schalke really are in shambles right now. Uh, Wolfsburg, yet again, kind of disappointing on the weekend on the early game on Sunday. A 0-0 draw to, I believe, current table leaders, FC Augsburg. And then, of course, that Bayern game against Hertha Berlin, a 4-3 win for the Bavarians. When we come back... Uh, we will be talking about the end of the transfer window. We will talk about who Byron brought in more than who Byron sent out. And then we will talk about which teams we did we think did the best from the Bundesliga over the weekend. Stay tuned.
Welcome back, and now we cover our Bundesliga and Bayern Munich transfer window recap heading into the international break. The transfer window has shut as of yesterday when we were recording this podcast. Um, Bayern were sitting in fourth in the table at the time. They're still in fourth right now. They needed to make a bunch of changes. They needed to add a bunch of reinforcements, so why don't we go ahead and talk about them right now. We're going to start up front with a rumor that we are pretty sure we completely fabricated out of thin air. Please believe us, we absolutely made this transfer happen. Uh, Shout out to John Dillon, our former uh, head editor at our site. Uh, Die-hard Eric Maxim Chupomoting fan. He wrote an opinion piece that said that Bayern should sign Eric Maxim Chupomoting. With no known rumors or links connecting the German striker to Bayern Munich. He wrote it on a Saturday evening. On Sunday, uh, Saturday evening, Eastern Time. On Sunday morning, Eastern Time, the reports were out that said that Bayern had agreed to a deal with Chupo Moting. Cue all of us on our Slack channel, everyone that works for this blog, losing their damn minds because we were pretty sure, and I still believe we really did conjure a transfer out of thin air. Moting, Tom, Chupo Moting, a little on the older side, looking somewhat like Sandro Wagner, but he even was able to produce pretty well for a PSG side that made it all the way to the Champions League final. What do you think we can expect out of him this season? It's funny when someone on Twitter made the joke, they said, uh, is John going to get royalties for this transfer? And I said, you know what? I cannot confirm nor deny that he's not in the Maldives right now, you know, enjoying an extended holiday with all of his royalties money. It's just one of those Maldives, Maldives, by the way. I think I said the British pronunciation because I'm so used (laughs) to those guys talking about going there. But we digress. Tom's an Anglophile. He loves the <laughs> Premier League, and he's trash because yeah. of it. But, you know, I really like this move. Um, I can't say I'm as much of a Chapo Moetang fan as John is, but I liked what I saw from him in the Champions League closing stages. Um, and I made the joke that someone maybe tapped him up or a few Bayern players tapped him up after the Champions League final. I mean, obviously, he spent time in, in Germany before, but... You know, he's a strong physical presence up top. You know, you know not to say Lewandowski isn't. Uh, I think it's fair to say that Chapamoteng is a much different build. He might offer a little bit more physicality. He's got plenty of pace. Um, he know I, I like his anticipation a lot as he showed uh, for his uh, contribution against Atalanta. You know, scoring late on to uh, to help PSG progress to the next round. Um, you know, so I think it's going to be a great, great auxiliary utility option for Bayern. Um, we rarely, very rarely see Bayern play with two strikers from the get-go. It's usually something we only see if we're losing or we need a goal. Uh, but I think this is going to be a great, great purchase for Bayern Munich. He's going to be that physical, p- pacey presence up top, strong in the air, strong physically. I can't wait to see what uh, he has to offer for Bayern Munich. We look more towards the midfield now. We will not talk about Mark Roca at length. All I will say is this. He seems more like a Javi Martinez to me than a Thiago Alcantara. And I think with Javi probably set 
surprisingly he didn't leave in this window but he's set probably for leaving Bayern within the next two transfer windows uh I think it's a great addition I think he'll fit well with the Etsy Bayern's Zweisaide side that's been struggling a lot in the Deutsche Liga this season but the second midfielder that Byron brought in is a familiar face to all of us, a right winger slash left winger, a Brazilian, a 30-year-old by the name of Douglas Costa. I think this is a great addition to the team right now. I've always been a fan of Ivan Perisic, and I still believe that Byron should have kept Ivan Perisic, but... I just think that Douglas Costa coming back to Bayern Munich makes sense. He knows most of the players. Most of the players get along with him. He likes being there. I think it's a great fit. I think Costa has a lot more to offer than what Juventus was using him for. And I think that being a backup left winger, being a backup right winger, being able to switch on with Zer- or with uh, with Gnabry and Sané. I think he's a great addition. I think he's the perfect fourth winger for this Bayern Munich team. I think that he still has a lot to offer in terms of goals, in terms of assists. We all remember the fantastic assists that he brought forth in the Champions League, but I think this is a great signing. I think it's a great signing. It's on loan. There are not many strings attached. Bayern's not bringing him in full-time. I think there are worse options that you could go with than Douglas Costa, and I think that it's great that Bayern was able to bring him back. Yeah, Jake, I agree. I mean, obviously, he's not the Douglas Costa that we bought uh, in 2015, but all things considered, given the circumstances of this transfer window, how truncated the schedule is going to be, how crucial depth is going to be especially for a team like us i think this is a fantastic move uh especially for what it's worth i remember writing a piece about this about a month back from an italian source and everybody had pretty much laughed it off and it seemed like uh, a strong portion of our base was completely against this but you know you I, despite what Ili Honus has said about douglas costa you know he didn't fit the mia san mia mentality he didn't work hard enough uh he didn't like his attitude um you know, there's still a level of professionalism there, and I think that bygones are, are, are have been bygones, and I think they've put that in the past and behind them, and I think there also might have been elements of disagreements that Costa might have personally had with either, either uh, Guardiola or Carlo Ancelotti at the time, uh, given whatever season it was. But, um, you know, if, if Hansi Flick didn't want him in this team, then this move would not have happened. Uh, I'm very excited to see him back at Bayern, you know, the, we all know the pace and the not only the pace but the change of pace and the quick change of direction almost like Kingsley Coman has but you know he's almost like when I'm thinking about this I'm, I'm thinking of like a Kingsley Coman with a better sense of balance uh, better on both feet and almost with the better final product so I mean what is not to like as you mentioned now we have Gnabry, Douglas Costa, Leroy Sané, Kingsley Coman at our disposal you know on, on the flanks I mean opposition defenses are definitely going to be worried now and as they should be the last transfer that Byron had on deadline day right Byron brought in a good many players this year right they brought in Costa as we mentioned Roca as we mentioned uh they brought in Alexander Nubo they brought in Tangi Nyanzu Kwasi uh they brought in Chupo Moting right they brought in Leroy Sané which could arguably be the biggest signing 
for any team of this transfer window. And then we get to a 28-year-old French and Ghanaian international uh, by the name of Bounassar from Olympique de Marseille. I was very confused by this transfer. First of all, it's not a loan. It's full ownership of the player's services for 11 million American dollars, as I'm seeing it on TransferMarked. I was very confused at the time the announcement happened. I'm still a bit confused now, but I have a bit of a theory. I have a bit of a conspiracy theory, right? And I know Brazo pays attention to our blog, right? So he'll probably be listening to this podcast. If so, hi, Brazo. Thank you for listening. Thank you for bringing in Chupo Moting and proving us all right at the uh, at the blog that you should be going to get him. But And, and keep the beard, Brazo. Keep oh, that please thing keep going. the beard. Please keep the beard. It's a beautiful beard. You have to keep the beard. Here's my theory. Right, and Brazo can hit me up on Twitter if I'm completely wrong. I feel like bringing in Bunasar was less about bringing him in than it was letting Mikhail Cuisance go to somewhere. Right, I think that Bayern probably again. This is all just theorizing. My idea is that Bayern let Cuisance go out to Marseille out on loan with a very generous option to buy clause in that contract in exchange for Saar, who they may not have wanted, but it served two needs. It let a player that wanted to pursue his career elsewhere go elsewhere, and it allowed Bayern to find a player that was experienced at their most dire position of need being right back. And he's okay to sit on the bench, right? Because he's going to get more advanced playing time in the Champions League with Bayern than he is with Marseille. Granted, you could argue that he'd probably be starting for Marseille and they're in the Champions League. But Bayern's probably, hopefully, going to make it further than Marseille is in the Champions League. Not to mention, I think it's been a while since Marseille has won Ligue 1 or even the Coupe de France, and I think he probably realizes that at 28, he's probably going to earn more titles with Bayern Munich than he is with Marseille. I think that $11 million is a really steep price tag, but again, I think that it was a case where Bayern wanted Marseille to take somebody off their hands and they needed a position filled at right back. And so they took the best right back that Marseille had and let Cuisance go to the South coast of France. That's my theory. I don't necessarily know if it's right, but I really do feel like that transfer was more about, Cuisance leaving than it was bringing Saar in. And that's not to discount Saar and say he's going to be a bad player for Bayern Munich. I really hope he does well, right? But at this point, Bayern don't need starting right backs. They don't even need starting right backs of the future. They just need people that can be able to come in 
off the bench and perform routinely every day of the week that they are brought in and they need to be there and just show that they can still perform well. And I feel that Saar has the potential to be that player. Uh, And whether or not it's going to work out for him, we'll see. But for now, I really hope that he does well. Yeah, I mean, from our standpoint, this has to be, you know, hugely about depth and uh, versatility. And Jake, I do agree with you there. I mean, most transfers normally bar when we're, or excuse me, most transfers when we're not in a pandemic have uh, a lot of moving parts in the transfer market, you know, in certain transfers, when there is a global pandemic in these circumstances, there's even more moving parts. So I definitely think uh, that the Cuisance move back to Marseille definitely had a little bit to do uh, with this Buonasar acquisition. And, you know, it might have been a part of the deal, whether either club is going to come out and say it or not for whatever optics reason they may or may not have. But, you know, I think this is exactly what Hassan Salihamidzic, uh, Hansi Flick, and Bayern's front office is sitting down looking at. You know, I do not watch a lot of Ligue 1, so therefore I do not watch a lot of uh, Olympic Marseille. However, I do like a lot of their players. I'm a big fan of Florian Toivon. I think he's a, a, a world-class player. Um, and from what I've, I've read about uh, Saar is, you know, while he is primarily a right back, he does also possess the versatility to play as a right wing back, uh, so perhaps more of uh, an advanced winger and also center back. So I think that this is something that was definitely going off on Hansi Flick uh, and, and Bayern's radar in the sense that, you know, it's added depth for that right back position in case Benjamin Pavard uh, gets more injuries this season or if he gets fatigued with the truncated schedule. Yes, Chris Richards made his uh, senior team uh, first start and debut in the Bundesliga and to great effect, but uh, there hasn't been a, a run of consistency yet at that level from him. So do we want to rely on him to be the de facto backed up, backup excuse me, for Pavard? While I do love him, and I think he, he's going to be a fantastic player. That might not be a bet uh, that Hansi Flick is willing to make right now. So w- with all things considered, Saar is a fantastic uh, acquisition. I'm, I'm a little skeptical about at the pri- about the price as well, as are you, Jake. Um, but then again, you know, that's why we're not getting paid the big, big bucks to be on Bayern's front office. And, and these guys are, you know, there's a lot of decisions and there's a lot to all of these decisions that are made that we won't necessarily know about. Um, so I'm just curious to see, you know, how often he will play because looking at it from his point of view, coming as the starting right back from uh, Olympique Marseille, who have gotten off to a decent start in Ligue 1, uh, giving PSG a run for their money, uh, and then coming to a club where you're definitely not going to be the starting right back behind a, a World Cup champion um, and experienced Bundesliga player and Benjamin Pavar, um, you know, I'm just curious as to how our front office would have sold this to him. And I'm sure versatility uh, was a huge part of that. You know, we've seen Alfonso Davies play as an advanced winger before. In my opinion, he looks a little bit more lost the more advanced he is as opposed to left back. But Hansi Flick might have this in mind with, with Sar. So I'm curious to see, you know, how often he'll be used, where he'll be used, and, and how he'll uh, cope and adapt to wherever uh, he's put and whatever's asked of him. But, yeah, I guess uh, – Positively optimistic for uh, for Sar. Last thing I want to do before we call it an episode, right? Because this is going to be a quick episode. Excluding Bayern Munich. And I'll even say excluding Borussia Dortmund because you could say that Dortmund 
did very well this transfer window in convincing Jadon Sancho to stay and keeping Man United off their backs. Who do you think had the best transfer window out of any Bundesliga team? Take your time. Have a think about it. I yeah, have my answer um, in mind, but I want to hear what you there, have in mind. So you have to consider a lot of things. The size of the club, budget of the club, uh, in relative terms to you know, how much of a financial hit was, was taken during the coronavirus as all teams suffered. You know, there's no denying that fact. And immediately in my mind, just because we're coming off of a very, very uh, dramatic game against them, Hertha Berlin comes to mind. I really liked how good they looked uh, back in May for the end of the 2019-2020 season during the Bundesliga restart. Uh, I thought Bruno Labbadia did a fantastic job turning their fortunes around, uh, getting them on the right track after Klinsman had left, as we all know how much of a disaster that stint was. Uh, and I really like the acquisitions of Jean Cordoba from uh, Cologne and then Schwalo from uh, SC Freiburg. As you mentioned, Jake, when we were discussing the 4-3 the win from this past weekend for Bayern Munich, <laughs> Schwalo had a higher match rating than Manuel Neuer despite letting in four goals and I think that's just a testament to the amount of saves he made early on and in the second half. And it's very hard to keep out every shot from Robert Lewandowski. I think any of the best keepers in the world are going to give up goals to Robert Lewandowski. But uh, I think he's a great keeper. And I think Cordoba is going to be a great acquisition. He's a very, very uh, strong physical presence up top, also has the pace. And as he's shown uh, physical ability, I think that thus far, uh, Berlin have been a little unlucky with their results, and I'm just still so shocked that they gave up five goals and went out in the first round of the Pokal to Eintracht Breinschweig, uh, and you know lost three one to Eintracht Frankfurt. Granted, they had an unlucky penalty call, uh, penalty decision against Diedrich Boyata in the first half, but you know they've they haven't had an easy schedule. Uh, beating Werder Bremen, going up against Eintracht Frankfurt, and then obviously losing four three to us after the international break. They um, they host Stuttgart, so I'm hoping they get back in the win column there. But, yeah, I, I think those are just two great buys. I also was impressed with um, you know, the Dutch guy. I do not know exactly how to pronounce his name. Deovasio Zeefwick. I thought that he played rather well against us despite being a, a defender and Hertha Berlin giving up uh, four goals. He came from FC Groningen, where Iron Robin currently plays, so... I would say it's been a quietly good transfer market for Hertha Berlin. You know, a lot of these Bundesliga clubs, as you mentioned, other than Bayern and Dortmund, do not have the biggest budget, so it's a very, very difficult thing to gauge. But uh, in my opinion, I thought they did they did well, all things considered. And uh, I'm curious to see how they'll do and if they'll be able to get back in the win column after the international break and get a run of form going. I really, really am jealous about how good RB Leipzig's window was. You saw them lose a bunch of players over the summer and into the fall, because here we are, we're at the fall. They lost the chance to re-sign Patrick Schick, and now he's playing on a rival team in Leverkusen. Not rival-rival, but you know what I mean. They weren't able to keep Ethan Mpadu, they lost Hannes Wolf out to a loan. They sent Ademola Lukman out on loan. 
And of course, they lost Timo Werner to Chelsea. And the question that was writing on the board at Leipzig and over Julian Nagelsmann's head was how were they going to replace everybody and make that up? They didn't need defensive reinforcements, but they went out and they got one of the best young German right-backs in the game right now in Benjamin Heinrichs. And I emphasize young because I know somebody is going to say, oh, it's Joshua Kimmich. Heinrichs is younger than Kimmich. I didn't make an incorrect statement. They brought in a Hertha youngster named Lazar Samardzic. Samardzic, I think. Um, he seems very promising. They brought in a young goalkeeper from Las Palmas and Josep Martinez. They brought in a Korean youngster from Salzburg named He Chan Huang. Korean fans out there and East Asian fans out there, go ahead and butcher me on Twitter if I pronounce that incorrectly. Um, they brought in a 24-year-old Norwegian youngster from Crystal Palace named Alexander Sorloth. I think he's going to be fantastic, but he's not even my favorite transfer. Because my favorite transfer is Justin Clivert from Roma on loan with a good option to buy for this Leipzig team. If I'm a Leipzig fan, I'm absolutely losing my mind. First of all, the son of Patrick Kluivert is coming to the team, right? For a team that doesn't have a lot of history and credibility in the world of European football, having a name like Kluivert on your team is going to do amazing things for your brand and for exposure to the world. Because if we've seen in recent history youngsters of world-renowned players from the 90s, right? Wink, wink, uh, Marcus Taram. Justin Kluivert is just as easily impressive. He's been doing pretty good things for Roma so far in the minimal playing time he's got. Now he's going to go off to Leipzig. He's going to do some awesome things there. And, I mean, if I was Nagelsmann, I would keep him on the left wing. I would start him all the time on left wing. I would keep Sabitzer, uh, Olmo, and Forsberg all together in the center of midfield and just let Clivert do his thing. I believe they have an option to buy on that as well. Overall, I think in terms of loaning people in, they did a very good job. They did a great job finding Sorloth and realizing that he wanted to get starting time in the Bundesliga. And I think that Leipzig really did a great, great job with their transfer window this year. I think that it's going to help them. I think it's going to make them incredibly tough challengers this season. And if anything, it'll make me watch them more. I think they'll be incredibly fun to watch with the players that they have right now. But that's for a different time. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the podcast again. I don't believe we'll be doing an episode of the podcast next week but if we do it's going to be like a special kind of thing previewing the champions league most likely but don't hold me to that yeah sure anyways be sure to like rate share subscribe to us and download us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and anywhere else you get quality audio content follow us on twitter at bavarian fb works at tommy adam 71 and at jefferson fenner and until next time when 
either we release a special, or we don't release a special, we talk about Byron's upcoming game against Bielefeld? I think it's Bielefeld. We will see you later. Stay safe. Have a great time watching German internationals or whatever your national team is, wherever you are. Auf Wiedersehen.